A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, welcome to the afternoon here on Ausbiz. Great to have you company between now and 1 p.m. This is a program we call The Call. Uh, 10 stocks that our viewers suggest and uh, they want analysis on. I put it to an expert panel and uh, we do it all in 60 minutes. Plus, I choose a stock of the day and uh, a panel today. Welcome to uh, Gary Glover from Novus Capital. Gary, how are you, sir? I'm very good. You look uh, very racing today. Oh, well, do you like this? Yeah, I was going to put my, fa- put my fascinator on, but decided it didn't suit me. Uh, Howard Coleman from uh, Team Invest. How are you doing? Welcome. Yeah, fine, thanks. Uh, I must say, I agree with Gary. You look very nifty today. <laughs> I, look like, uh, I look like a uh, shifty bookie, I think. But anyhow, <laughs> uh, Howard, do you... Do you bet on the uh, on the Melbourne Cup? No, I'm totally ignorant. I have a daughter who follows uh, a lot to do with horses, and she usually sends me something at about uh, half an hour before the race, right. telling me which she thinks are the three best horses. But uh, uh, I'm a complete ignoramus when it comes to horse racing. Um, I've got a feeling Gary Glover may be. It's in his wheelhouse with. Uh, with all the stats and the quant side of it. Gary, do you have a bet? Do you look at the form? Uh, I normally do have a very good look at it. Uh, uh, this is probably the one of the few years in the last decade that I've, I've barely looked. So, uh, uh, yeah, so I've been a bit distracted. A, but, uh, it yeah. is a bit funny this year, isn't it? It doesn't feel like the Melbourne Cup, does it? I think yeah. everyone in lockdown. I think normally you'd be in town, there'd be you know, thousands of people floating around. So it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a little different. Yeah. Um, uh, I must throw in here, uh, Gary, as well. Uh, you don't need to bet on the Melbourne Cup if you come up um, with suggestions like uh, Playside Studios that you did for in our series Stocks That Could uh, Change Your Life, investing for the long term. I notice it's gone from 31 to 87 cents in the last three yeah, weeks. Nice, nice, nice run. Yeah, I guess it's uh, something to be said for looking at the criteria for uh, success in the past, so um, yeah, yeah I, I might have to might have to look a bit bit, bit deeper along those lines in the future. <laughs> uh, did you buy any at the time? Uh, negative. <laughs> yeah. Well, on behalf of our viewers, can I just thank you for it? Well done, <laughs> putting putting them first. All right, let's get stuck into it. I always come up with a uh, stock of the day, something that's. Uh, that is in the news and um, boy, um, today, uh, mergers and acquisitions on the card, Net Wealth lobbing a $785 million takeover offer for premium in a bid to beef up its platform for asset management. Uh, the bid consists of one uh, Net Wealth share for every 11.96 shares of premium, implying a bid of $1.50 a piece, which represents a 20% premium on premiums last close. Uh, premiums board though saying the proposal undervalues the business and is not in the best interest of shareholders, but added it would be open to engaging with the bidder. So uh, Gary Glover, the uh, 
the dance starts now, doesn't it? Uh, you don't come out and say, Wacko, thanks for the takeover offer. You always go, well, it's a bit on the low side and start to negotiate. Uh, what do you think of the bid and, and premium and, and net wealth? Oh, I mean, it's probably a good time to do it when your PE's on, uh, you know, sort of 70 times um, and you're just a platform provider um, in that space there. So I think it's, uh, you know, to be offering sort of script is a way to go here um, when, when your company is pretty highly valued there. So, yeah, look, I've used Premium before. It's not a bad platform. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I think the net wealth itself is pretty fully priced here for me. I think it's um, stock sort of showing topping sort of pattern type characteristics. I mean, the valuation is pretty high there. We're still on, um, even with, what, 14% growth this year and another 13% growth factored in for the following year, we're still on 60 times sort of, uh, you know, 23 type earnings there. So might be buying a little bit of growth there, but um, and these multiples there, I just couldn't be buying the stock here. I think it's uh, fully priced, but uh, good time for NetWell to be making a move with a script bid. Yeah. Yeah. Howard? Yeah. Um, I mean, when you look at the business of NetWell, putting aside the fact that it's an absurdly high PE, as, as Gary points out, uh, the business is doing really well. It's got, as one would expect in financial services like this, very high return on equity. I mean, the return on equity is in the 50s uh, percent-wise. It's got no debt to speak of, and it's growing its earnings at 35% plus a year. Now, that's absolutely wonderful as a business, but then as Gary points out, it's on a very, very high PE of 77 or so, according to our um, backward calculations, we always take the PE of the last reported actual earnings. Um, and the bid they're making for premium is at an even higher PE. I mean, uh, they're paying uh, a PE of over 100 uh, for premium. So it won't even be earnings per share creative in the first year on the assumption that there aren't significant synergies. Now, there may be synergies, but wow, um, you know, on behalf of uh, any net wealth shareholders, I'm not one, and it, uh, I don't think there are any in Team Invest. It hasn't been listed long enough. But uh, I hope they don't get in a dance where they land up paying even more. But they have so far said um, they're definitely not prepared to increase the offer. It's a one-time offer. Um, but certainly, if this offer goes ahead, I'd say the premium shareholders are doing very well out of it. Yep, yep. But like Perry. Um, I wouldn't be buying net wealth at these prices. Yeah. Uh, been a huge success story, of course, Matt, Matt Heine from uh, Melbourne um, um, with his dad, uh, Michael, from, um, um, from Melbourne, the old Heine trading business that has lots of different arms. Almost started as a side hustle for Matt um, as uh, son goes off and starts his own business, done incredibly well. All right, let's um, get into the uh, into the stocks that our viewers want um, uh, analysis of. And Gary, first up, Immutep, a uh, biotechnology company in uh, immunotherapies for um, immunoautoimmune diseases. Um, basically, looking at intervention to fight cancer and autoimmune diseases, isn't it? Which one of those companies that that you really hope succeeds. And um, uh, they've got this um, cell surface, surface molecule that they think regulates against the, uh, the cancer cells and discovered by their, their chief scientific officer. 
Um, so good, good Aussie biotech. Yeah, the um, immunotherapy uh, area is sort of getting a little bit more um, popular there just because it's, uh, I guess, a less dangerous sort of uh, method for treating cancer there. So this, yeah. I think, um, Immutep is sort of in that um, metastatic breast cancer is kind of there. That's, I think that's their sort of phase 2B trial they're going on there. But looks still pretty early there. Um, I, I saw, like, you know, there's a lot of, it, it reads pretty well. There's a lot of... Um, you know, they made mention here of a lot of the scientific advice, but um, if you actually look, if you actually look at that scientific advice, none of that's binding. So there's right. not really any, um, you know, like a, like an FDA or a CMARC or you know, you've really got to get um, to commercial status. So so far, we've just sort of got um, research advice um, around some good um, results. So very early still. So still still sort of doing phase two. So. You know, pretty risky. It's already got a 490 mil market cap, so that's that's pretty pretty heavy for a company which is still pretty early. So um, yeah, to me, I think this has got a bit of risky at that market cap. So yeah. um, been heaps of sort of good news sort of floating out. So uh, probably good um, good marketing by the company, yeah. but um, yeah, pricing in a bit of success here already, and it's it's for me it's way too early. So um, you know, there's plenty of companies that have actually got. Um, you know, commercial status and probably got market caps of half of this. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It is interesting with, uh, it's been put to me in the past by a panel saying if you if you want to dabble in the, in these areas, sort of, you know, make, make sure it's as part of your over, overall portfolio that, it, that it's a balanced approach, but have have a, a little finger in five, or five of them um, in a little portfolio of them to give you a bit of diversity, don't go overboard, but if one takes off your benefit, um, because out of the five, probably three won't go anywhere. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it, there's a good book called, uh, I think it's uh, Zebra in Lions Country, which is, um, so you sort of, you've got to invest yeah. in quite a few of them, because you expect to be, you know, like, like a zebra might get, you know, picked off by the lions. Yeah, yeah. Not, not, a lot of them won't make it, but maybe one or two of them will, will do well yeah. enough to, uh, to do pretty well. So it's, it's it's a hard space to invest. It's it's really you know quite risky, you know. So yep. yeah, yeah. Uh, Howard. Yeah, I mean the odds are even worse than that. Unfortunately, there's about one in forty of these biotechs that are in stage two or earlier trials that ever make any money. So this company has no revenue, um, but it's got a market cap of uh, three hundred and something million, which is somewhat absurd. When I say no revenue, I mean no sales, not even no profits. So it's lost money every year. It uh, has been very good at raising capital. It had 126 million shares on issue in 2012. It's had a number of capital raising since then. It's now got 748 million shares. Wow. So if you put your money into this, you, you've got to, and I, I deliberately didn't use the word invest. If you put your money into this, you've got to expect that pretty much every year they're going to come and ask you for more money um, in order to fund um, the work that they're doing on the developments. Now, I obviously hope they're successful. Be wonderful for uh, humankind if they they and many other biotechs succeed and uh, uh, save lives. But as an investment, you, you probably need to be in 40 of these because about one in 40 succeeds. Yeah. The one that does succeed, you do very well. But as Gary said earlier, uh, they're ones you could you could invest in 
um, where at least they're starting to earn some revenue. They've already passed the stage three trials. They're waiting for FDA approval. For this company, that could be 10 years from today if they ever get there. Yep, absolutely. All right, uh, our next stock is um, Howard Big Ten Can, the uh, online platform for uh, for enterprises and, and big corporates. It's sort of a, um, if you like, a, a platform where you ship content around your your network and, and devices. Um, pretty impressive um, recent update, uh, financial update, uh, cash receipts up 218%, cash operating payments up 67%, um, cash flow of 4.9 million um, and $55, 56000000 million um, in cash. So uh, what do you think of Big Tin Can? Hasn't been trading that long, has it? Listed that long? No. No, and, and when a company emphasizes how much their sales have gone up and amidst to mention profits, what they're basically telling you is we don't actually make a profit. We're a great sales story, but we're not yet a business. And that's the case here. I mean, um, the five years they've been listed, they've lost money every year. Um, the, the losses don't seem to be shrinking. While the sales are going up, they're still losing money. So they're obviously selling their services for less than it costs them to provide those services. And on that basis, it's always easy to get your sales to go up, but it's not a business. In the end, a business has to make a profit because without making a profit, the only way it can continue surviving is to keep putting the big tin can out to its shareholders for more capital, which is what big tin can has been doing. So I think it's really well named. Uh, you know, it had 100 <laughs> Nine million shares in 2016. It's got 425 million shares today. So uh, at least they're being honest about it. They're a big tin can. <laughs> uh, Gary. Yeah, and no, similar to how actually when I, when I sort of I saw this here, it's um you know got the these revenues that are basically sort of doubled here in the last couple of years, which is pretty impressive there. But the, the losses are keep um, the losses are growing as well. So normally, sort of if your revenue line sort of you know, you're hoping for these sort of companies to get in closer to break even. Obviously, there's a bit of sometimes you need sort of scale to to reach profitability, but they're not you're not seeing this here. You're actually seeing seeing the revenue double in the last two years, but the profit, sorry, the loss has actually been growing. So it's getting larger and larger each year. So you want to be sort of seeing that loss getting skinnier each year, getting closer to break even, because then obviously, um, if you scale up again at 100%, and then then all of a sudden you're in profit, then then, then off you go. But so far, all we're seeing here is the losses keep getting larger each year. So that's um, that's not a good sign for me. And, and if you look, there's actually a really good slide actually in their own presentation there with how many competitors are there in their space. And there's, there's oh. probably sort of, I mean, they, they, they listed about sort of 20 to 25 competitors all in a matrix sort of which, you know, which quadrant they're all sort of sitting in there. And it's like, wow, that's a very competitive sort of uh, landscape you're dealing in. Um, and you know you're not making any money at the moment. Geez, how are you going to be? How are you going to sort of turn that into a profit here? Was when there's so many competitors uh, um, against you. So just yeah, too much risk for me. Okay, all right. Uh, to a more uh, traditional company now, Gary. Uh, our viewers want to view on uh, Cardno, the um, basically the uh, property and building uh, management business, isn't it? Um, I know they. Uh, 
when my uh, mother's block had a whole uh, new block had a uh, whole bunch of defects. Cardinal came in and sort of oversaw the um, um, directification of it. Um, recently, it's all that environmental engineering sort of. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, to to get buildings right, but uh, they've been in Asia and also America with a consulting business, which they've um, just agreed to sell for about. $670 million. They're going to distribute um, about $1.40, $1.50 a share back to shareholders as a result of it and uh, and keep the rest in cash. It's a bit of a um, strange one to look at here right now because obviously um, yeah, Cardinal's done pretty well. Um, but the market cap, um, 591 mil at the moment. That was at 151. And... So that um, that Quantec, which has acquired Cardinal's North American arm, that's for around 500 mil. So the rest of the business is sort of take the 500 mil out. The rest of the business is only worth sort of 90 mil. Yeah. Now they've still got the Latin American um, arm, and then the post transaction they're going to basically be focusing on this what this IDA, so international development business, which is obviously a little bit maybe a smaller part of the business, but um, but. I mean, it kind of feels like if they can sort of get 90 million for, if they end up selling the Latin America business as well, then you're getting a free hit on the rest of the business. Mm. So, um, yeah, interesting that the market cap is only 591 versus the sale here, which is 500 mil. So, yeah, uh, um, yeah so it sort of doesn't put too much, um, but I think there's so, probably just a little. So they they reckon they're going to. Um redistribute or give back to shareholders between a dollar forty and a dollar fifty. Well the share price yeah. is a dollar fifty. Um, <laughs> so, so you're gonna get the, yeah, so, yeah. investment the, back I think and the still question have a mark is what's what's left here. What's um is everyone sort of wondering what, you know, has has this well it's obviously sold probably the you know potentially the best parts of the business there, yeah. but but what's what's left, where are they sort of steering towards? So there's, there's two bits left. There's obviously this new business, which obviously yeah. they're going to grow, but then there's also, they've still got this environmental services business in Latin America. What, what's that worth? So yeah. I say, if, if you get, I looked at it and thought, well, if you sell that for 90 mil, then you're getting a free hit from the yeah. rest of it. So interesting. I just, I'm just not sort of, uh, yeah, it's just a bit of a bizarre announcement if you look at the market cap and the valuations there. So, yeah. um, but the market's obviously, because there was some clarification about what where they're going into that's come out. So, yeah. I'm just not sure what, what the valuation is of this new business is going to be at this stage. And you look at the share price, which Howard in, what, March was 28 cents, uh, is now $1.50. So to Gary's point, either the market severely undervalued you know, the global value of um, what it's selling off um, and whether the remaining parts are undervalued as well. Yeah, look, it's possible it's not a company I know that well, but um, its earnings have been dropping year after year and its return on equity was low. So obviously um, nobody thought any of the parts of the business was uh, uh, worth all that much. But it turns out that one part of the business appears to be worth a lot. Now, it could suggest that the rest of the businesses are worth a, a, a minus quantity uh, or somewhere between a minus quantity and the 90 million difference. Um, and I think anybody looking at this would have to really research that quite deeply. But as Gary says, you're getting a pretty free hit unless the rest of the business is not worth much at all. 
Now, the one thing that put me off this business some, I don't know, year, two years ago or so, when I uh, was asked a question about it uh, on, on air as well, is I had a look at it and they were making at the time somewhere around about $20 million a year profit. And they were working in something like, I think it was either 14 or 17 different countries. Now, you really don't have to make a large misstep when you're working in that many different countries. You only need one part of the world to have a big mess up uh, in a contract that you're doing and your entire profit is wiped out. That's a lot of countries to be operating in um, to be making that little money. And um, that could be why it's so negatively looked at by the market. It was a bit of a market darling when they were on the acquisition trail um, up until about uh, 2015 or so. So it would be interesting to know this business that they sold, what did they originally pay for it? Because they did have a couple of not very successful acquisitions that turned out to be worth a lot less than they paid. So I, I don't know enough about it, but as Gary says, it looks like you're getting a bit of a free hit, but that free hit may be worth next to nothing. Um, certainly the viewer who's asked about it, probably the best thing to do is to go through their accounts and try and work out when they divide up their segment reporting somewhere in the annual report, which they will do. Um, what are the other parts of the business doing if you exclude the part they're selling? Because if the rest of the business is making negative money every year and it's being supported by the business they're selling, then it's not worth anything after they've sold it. But if the rest of the business is making some profit, maybe okay. But again, if most of that goes away and they're still operating in a dozen odd countries and they're making a million or two million a year, you can't even afford to fly there and visit yeah. all your operations, let alone anything else. Yep, absolutely. All right, it's a bit skinny um, across a number of countries, as you say. Um, Howard, uh, viewer wants say um, your thoughts on Novanix. Um, it's uh, in the lithium battery uh, business. Of course, when anyone talks about lithium these days, everyone gets really excited. Uh, operations in the US and Canada also owns a graphite deposit in Queensland. And interestingly, um, Phillips has bought a 16% uh, a stake in the group, the uh, Phillips, the uh, energy giant, Phillips 66, um, recently as well. So it's getting some heavyweights on its share register. Yeah, and, and the companies like Philips uh, all have to prove the environmental credentials now by buying things that are connected with uh, renewables. And, uh, you know, to them, the amount of money that they would have spent on this is, is less than petty cash. Um, but when you look at the business, it's been losing money every year. So it's a lovely story and it sounds like, uh, you know, uh, lithium's going to be very important, which it probably is. Um, but lithium's very common in the earth. Um, you know, it's the third most common element in the universe. Um, so it, it's not as if there's a shortage of lithium uh, in the ground. Uh, there's just a shortage of people currently mining lithium. But there's so many new lithium mines being developed all around the world um, that probably in a few years' time there's going to be an absolute nutter glut. And if you're going to be investing in something with uh, that sort of potential upside, they're companies that are already profitable, that are actually genuinely making real money um, that you'd be far better off investing in than one that's a prospective, maybe it'll one day make money. And as far as their graphite 
resources concerned. When a company says they have a resource, what they mean is they're about to come to shareholders to ask for money to develop a mine. It doesn't mean they're making money. It means they're currently not yet making money. And first, they're going to have to ask for money to dig more holes to prove up the resource some more. Then they're going to have to buy equipment. Then they have to develop the mine. And finally, many, many, many years later, if the price of whatever it is is good enough, they may, if you're very lucky, make a profit and send some money to shareholders. Right. So, a no from, from the team invest point of view. Okay, Gary. Um, Novanix, they, they're sitting on a lot of cash, though, aren't they? Uh, what, 290 mil is not yeah. uh, that much when you look at the market cap of what, well, it must be over 3.8 uh, billion now. Okay. So, market cap is enormous. So, really, I think forecast to be what, three cents of earnings in 23. So, it's a long way away before this thing makes any money. Um, Look, it's, yeah, it's a great story here. Obviously, all that sort of battery materials, equipment services to the lithium battery sort of uh, in North America. And, you know, you've had Philips there. I think you had like an ex-Tesla director come on as well. So there's some really sort of, um, you know, some sort of interesting sort of key people have come on there, um, on the register, onto management there. So looks pretty exciting there. But the um, gee, market cap is enormous and a long, long, long way from um, revenues and earnings here. So, um, yeah, to me, this is fraught with danger there. I think the valuation is, you know, it's huge. I think, you know, you're pricing in maybe a decade of uh, success yeah, here already. So, um, yeah, I just think this is uh, fully priced here by, by a long shot. So, um, if anything, to me, this is probably a sell. Right. Okay. All right. Um, is that your view generally on the, on the lithium market? Is it got out of hand, that sector? Uh, I, th I think so. I think you've seen here in the market here, you've seen it, um, you know, with gold and oil and iron ore and coal prices there, these, these commodity prices are really moving around. This is a volatile period here. We've got, you know, rampant speculation sort of, um, you know, really heightened in the last sort of uh, year or two here. Just look at that. Um, what was that bloody squid game co oh, coin, yeah. <laughs> which was which was worth 29 billion two days ago. Now it's worth nothing. Yeah. It's just that we we are really in a uh, pretty um, hyped up environment. So these commodities are very volatile. So they'll they'll shift there. And as Howard say, you know, it's, lithium's not too rare. So uh, these things will sort of move back and forth. Just just seeing ma massive swings there. So um, just gotta be careful. With these these really hyped up stocks, they can run really hot. Everyone gets on board, and then and the bottom can fall out as well. So yeah. um, I just see Absolutely. some some significant risk there. It's just, just not the right time to be looking at them. Yep. All right, Howard, let's go the uh, other end of the risk scale with uh, Transurban, the big uh, tollway um, group uh, recently uh, is actually going to, to raise some more money itself to uh, buy the rest of the, the West Connects uh, toll road um, in Sydney. What do you think of Transurban? Yeah, look, um, uh, this is a very difficult company to know about the future. And you, from a point of view of a wealth winner, you want to be virtually certain the earnings per share will be materially higher in the future than it is today. Now, the last three years, they've been losing money. So every year for the last three years, they've actually run it to loss. Now, only small losses in terms of earnings per share losses. Um, they've been you know, relatively small for the size of the company. But um, Inflation going up is not going to be good for them from one point of view in that they've got a fair bit of debt.
But from another point of view, it means they get to put their prices up because uh, nearly all their toll road franchises allow them to put prices up at at least CPI, um, sometimes more than CPI. So that's good for them. But on the other hand, this whole COVID episode has caused a lot of people to consider and a lot of companies to consider, do we need all our workers coming in every day to the office? So are there going to be as many cars on their roads after COVID as there were before COVID? So as an example um, of several companies that I know, one that my daughter in fact works for, has said that um, they'll be coming to the office three days a week and they can work from home the other two. And a lot of companies are saying similar things. So we may in fact find that revenue on toll roads doesn't grow um, at the rate that was originally believed it would. So I'm not very enthused about uh, these financial engineering companies where effectively they pay a distribution every year that's greater than their profits and some of it's really your own money that you put in when you bought shares. Um, I mean, Transurban's one of the better run ones, but uh, now, uh, you know, Team Invest members, whenever they look at a company like this with minimal return on equity um, land and high debt, land up saying too risky, too yeah. hard to know it's going to be a wealth winner. They're far better places to put your money. And and they account for things differently, don't they? These infrastructure they ones. They, they Revenue can be treated as profit and debt's treated differently. It's, um, it's hard to get your head around how they actually account for it all. And as Warren Buffett says, you know, don't invest in anything you don't thoroughly understand. And and despite the, the fact that I've looked at this several times, um, I can't say that I really understand this business. I mean, I understand what the business does with toll roads, yeah. but I really don't understand how they do their accounting. Now, um, that could be my lack of accounting intelligence. But if it's that complex, I'd rather say, gosh, they're much easier companies to understand <laughs> where I can be virtually certain earnings yeah. are growing, I'd rather put my money there. Yeah, good point. Gary? Yeah, look, I think it's okay without being great here, Transurban. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I would expect it to be a bit of a reopening play, and I think the earnings will improve here over the next few years. But, um, yeah, I kind of got to agree with Howard there a little bit. Some reservations here about whether you'll um, you'll get a return to sort of 100%. You know, maybe, maybe we'll only go sort of 70 80% sort of, sort of numbers there. So... Yeah, look, it's look, it's it's okay here. It's just just not a great, you know, um, like the multiples, yeah, are kind of sitting in the middle as well. So again, not not jumping out from a value point of view. So um, yeah, I think it's just an okay investment rather than a great investment here at the moment. Okay, all right. Let's just recap the uh, the first five stocks that we've gone through today. A no from uh, Gary and Howard on Netwealth. Uh, the same on Immutep, uh, Big Tin Can, Cardno. Uh, Novanix as well, I know from both and with Transurban. Gary saying, look, if you're in Novanix, uh, it might be a time to, to sell and take some profits because uh, all of these sorts of uh, lithium stocks are, are really hyped up at the moment and uh, uh, will take them years to actually um, justify these valuations. All right, here on the, uh, the call, we've been following our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner, NAB Trade. Any stock that gets two thumbs up from our expert panel goes into the portfolio. If it comes up again and uh, doesn't get a buy or a hold, it goes out. 
Let's check how it's been performing uh, for the week, up a third of a percent, up 4% for the month, up 7.5% since the 1st of July this year and since inception up 45.25%. Some of the stocks recently added by our expert panels, Smart Parking, the Vanguard US Total Market Shares Index, ETF, Clunaville Pharmaceuticals and Fidios and Alcidian. Uh, some of the stocks removed, A2 Milk, Crown, Star Pharma and PointsBet. You can check out all the stocks and ETFs in the calls portfolio. Head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. We uh, update how it's going each day. All right, let's uh, get into the second half of the call. And Gary, um, uh, your opinion on Helios, the healthcare company, which uh, is in the pathology, imaging and and day hospitals uh, business. What do you think of uh, Helios? Yeah, look, I think it's in a bit of a sweet spot here, obviously with um, yeah, COVID testing there. But I, I see that um, around about sort of what, 21, 22 times, uh, 22 quarter earnings there. And you're gonna sort of see a little bit of a tapering off into 23, just because um, probably the, you know, the COVID testing will be a bit, obviously a bit less. So that puts on about 24 times, um, you know, sort of 23 earnings. So it's just getting pretty pricey there. Also know they're looking to, uh, they've sort of made it pretty clear they're looking to acquire some businesses as well. So whether that's um, overseas um, and um, in Australia here. So so they're on the sort of um, acquisition trail as well. So you know, I just I just think the valuation's a little high here at the moment. Um, yeah, for this sort of industry, um, you know, but and I just think you'll see a bit of a tapering there. So I think if you're patient there, you probably, you know, I just think you'll probably see this price drift off from here. You know, probably right. maybe back to four fifty or something like. That. Right, so okay. I, I wouldn't be rushing in there right now. Uh, Howard. Yeah, I mean the business is profitable, which is nice. We've seen a lot today that aren't, um, and it's got reasonably high growth in profits, but its return on equity is very low, and with a low return on equity. In the end, it can't really turn out to be a wealth winner. It's not really possible if the return on equity is low. If they can't make much money out of each dollar of shareholder money in the business, you can't really make that much money out of owning those shares. So um, if you look at what it does, um, it's got competitors in each of its main spaces that are far better investments. If you look at pathology, Sonic Healthcare is a far better business with higher return on equity. If you look at radiology, integral diagnostics is a far better business with a higher return on equity. And if you look at its hospital side of its business, Ramsey Healthcare is higher return on equity. So in each of its sectors in its market, it's not the leader. And as an investor, you want to be investing in the best business in the sector. Occasionally, if it's a sector you really like, you maybe want to be in the two best businesses in the sector. But you really don't want to be investing in one of the also rands because they don't turn out to be wealth winners. It's the quality of management that drives wealth winners. And the best way to judge them is how they've performed to date. So if a company has consistently been a bit of an also rand compared to its competitors, clearly its management aren't the best management, the same as mm. we would judge sports teams. And we'd say, you know, the teams with the best coaches and the best players are the ones that tend to do the best. Yep. And the ones that have got a poor coach and poor players tend to do poorly. So why would one invest in them? So yep. um, a no from us simply because, from a team invest perspective, simply because there's a better company in each of the fields they're in. 
Okay, yeah, really good point. Um, Howard, what about Select Harvest? We go to, it's an agricultural business, of course. It's um, uh, our biggest almond producer, um, exports um, around the world, Asia, Europe, the Middle East. Um, our, our biggest almond producer and, um, and a few more fruits and seeds it's into as well, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, uh, considering it's an agricultural business, it does very well. The problem with all these agricultural businesses, besides the risk of weather and so on, um, is the fact that they almost always get squeezed by the big marketing companies. The Coles, the Woolworths, the Metcash, the Aldis are constantly squeezing them on price. So anytime it looks like they're making a fair bit of money, um, one of their big customers comes along to them and says, hmm, you know, I, I think you need to shave your prices a little bit. Um, you want to be invested in companies that have some pricing power. And unfortunately, agricultural companies, not only in Australia, pretty much worldwide, don't have very good pricing power. They probably do better on the exports than they do on the stuff they supply locally, the products they supply locally. But, you know, agriculture uh, around the world uh, is, is a tough business to be in because you're always being squeezed by the customers who buy the stuff from you, unless your brand is such that people go to the shops and they say, I want to buy almonds made by so-and-so. And I can't imagine anybody doing that. They don't walk into the shops and say which brand of almonds they want. So um, it, it will run for the kind of field that it's in, but um, hard to be in, enthused about it because its return on equity most years is less than 10%. Right. But it's a lot better than a number of them we've seen today because it's got several years that have been above 10%. Yep. Uh, Gary? Yeah, it's actually one that I recommended my clients back in June, actually, when I was saying 570 there. So, look, it has had a pretty good run there. I think there was uh, some issues there with sort of um, California droughts, which, um, which is the other sort of uh, big almond province. So that has sort of, you know, put, you know, the stock has sort of gone for a bit of a run there. I've probably sold out a little early from the high there, but um, I would be looking at it again. But I would just be wanting to sort of come back here, maybe closer to 640. Um like Howard there, I think, you know, this business has been pretty well, you know, pretty well run in the past here. Um, yeah, if you sort of believe in this sort of inflation story there, which I, you know, I sort of do at the moment here, I think we've seen inflationary pressures. We've seen just some of these commodities, whether they're sort of soft to half commodities there, the, the prices are going up and down quite erratically. So um, there's a bit of movement in those. So, but I think for me, the price comes back to around sort of 640 there. That's probably an opportunity for me to have a look at going back into the stock okay. again. But, um, but yeah, it's so on my radar here. Probably, yeah. So you're saying it would be a beneficiary of inflation? Yeah, so obviously, as uh, you've seen here with um, with most commodities, the, the price of the commodities have been going up and down pretty, you know, some pretty crazy moves. So, you know, with lumber price or coal price or... So you've, you've seen the same sort of movements in some of these um, soft commodities as well. So... Right. Um, early in the year, the, the almond price was going through the roof there, basically um, after the sort of California drought. So that puts, um, you know, if the price of almonds is going up quite substantially, then means that um, select harvest will, will definitely, you know, the profits will be a lot greater that year. So just got to, got to keep an eye on the commodity and stuff there. But um, but yeah, I think if this sort of comes off a little bit, you know, back to say 640, that's sort mm -hmm. of I'm looking at sort of technically it's a good good price point there. Back, okay. I think it's around about 20 times at the moment. So that, that might bring it back to around 16, 17 times as well. So, yeah. um, 
yeah, so I think that's probably, probably pretty fair okay. there. All right. Um, now, um, next stock, uh, Gary, EQT Holdings. I thought to myself, EQT, I haven't, haven't really heard about that until I realised it was the old equity trustees, which have been around for uh, over 100 years, I think, is it? Um, into estate planning, trustee services, uh, philanthropy, um, estate planning, managed funds, superannuation. Uh, one of the one of the old style financial conglomerates, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So I think, uh, like I said, I think that the revenue line was up about um, just under six percent for the last year. I think net profit was what nineteen point two million, up to twenty one and a half. So just a you know one point three million above. So look, it's not a bad business there. The, for me, the the big issue there was the we're on about twenty two times earnings and. Um, I think even sort of looking at a you know, 7% growth you know, factored in, you're still on about 20 to 21 times. So you're on a pretty big number there. And equity markets have been pretty buoyant too. You'll, you'll tend to sort of find here, because um, a lot of these things are based on sort of funds under management, which yeah. I think in the last year, it's up about 40%, because obviously equity markets have gone crazy as well. So if you do get a contraction in markets, then you might, you'll probably see contraction in the in the funds under management, and then you get a contraction in the returns. So to me, it's just pretty well priced here. I just I couldn't couldn't be a buyer on these multiples here. I'd be um, it's a business to sort of buy when it maybe the markets had a bit of a, a cool off. Right, uh, Howard. Yeah, I'm with Gary. The time to buy into financial services businesses like this that benefit from funds under management is when funds under management are low because the markets had a tough time, um, not when the market's high. So um, it's got, for the kind of business that it is, it's got very low return on equity. Usually these financial services businesses and that have funds under management, because you don't need much equity to run them, um, they're capital-light businesses, unlike, for instance, mining and biotech, which need a lot of capital. Usually they have very high return on equity. Um, it's had less than 10% return on equity as far back as my figures go. Uh, in fact, no, I'm wrong. In 2013 and 12, it had more than 10% uh, return on equity, but it hasn't had since then. So that's pretty poor for a business in its field. So no, from our point of view. Uh, coming back to inflation, though, which I think is an interesting thing. Um, when there's inflation, your costs go up as well as your prices. So the question is not, will a commodity price go up because of inflation? The question is, can they raise their prices faster than inflation? Because if they can, and they are therefore price makers, not price takers, then inflation is heaven. Yep. If, on the other hand, you're selling something where you're a price taker, like a commodity, almonds would fall into that, in my opinion, um, then inflation's bad for you, because you usually have a tougher time putting your price up than your workers have in terms of getting higher pay your distributors have in um, squeezing you and your transport costs go up and you're always having to justify that your costs went up before you can put your prices up. You want to be in a business where they can justify putting their prices up before their costs go up, not yeah. the other way around. So price makers are the businesses to be in yeah. times of inflation. So um, do you think inflation is coming roaring back, Howard? Is this a filter that you're putting over your decision-making at the moment? Yeah, I mean, predictions about the future are always fraught with uh, inaccuracies, but all the signs are 
extremely reminiscent of previous times historically, and the most recent one being the 1970s, when inflation um, rose dramatically worldwide. And there have been many examples in between 1970 and now where it happened in individual countries or individual parts of the world. And yeah, I think all the signs are there that inflation is going to get higher. And I think the central banks want inflation to be higher. They would actually like, considering how much debt governments have taken on around the world and private citizens have, they would love inflation to be high for a long time. So they're not going to put up interest rates as long as they can manage to hang on until the bond markets punish them um, for, for not putting up rates. They'll cling on to low rates as long as they can mm. because higher inflation will reduce the debt burden that's around the world. Now, at some point, the bond markets will revolt, as has happened many times in the past, and interest rates will go up no matter what reserve banks do. So, um, but but yes, I, you know, how high will they get? No idea. But yeah, I, I firmly believe that the odds are strongly in favour of significantly higher uh, inflation and significantly higher interest rates uh, over the next few years than we've been experiencing over the last few. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Gary, what's your view? Oh, look, I couldn't have put it any better. And Howard's put it there. Howard's laid it out perfectly. I agree with Howard 100%. I think it's obvious that, um, you know, look, there might be a few little taperings off here, but uh, the inflationary band's moved. Uh, you know, all, all, a lot of these assets have, have moved quite substantially. So even if you get some easing there, um, you know, like the longer we sort of stay this, you know, these prices sort of um, move higher here, the, the longer it drags on, the more likely that, um, you know, I guess the less likely you're going to come back to where they sort of started from, but yeah. yes, all, all the assets have sort of moved in value quite substantially here. So, but you know, if, if you read any sort of um, any good sort of trading sort of textbooks in history about all the times in the past where uh, central banks have printed a lot of money, then the Japan example has been the outlier. Most most cases you've seen um, inflation, you know, nine times out of ten. So I, I just don't understand. I think. The banks, central banks, are sort of keeping it on the down low. I'm not sure, but to me, history has told us that you know, printing a, a buck load of money has normally nine times out of ten been followed by inflation. Yep. So, yep. pretty obvious we, we're getting the, the norm here. Yep, and we'll have uh, yeah, full coverage. Yep, sorry, Howard. No, I was just going to say Japan is an outlier because its population's been shrinking and shrinking fast, um, and, and that uh, slows down inflationary pressures. But most of the world, that's not the case. So, yeah, yeah uh, like Gary says, I mean, you know, at least nine times out of 10, money printing gets followed by increases in inflation. Yep. All right. We'll get the uh, latest update from the Reserve Bank in, uh, what, about an hour and a half. Uh, um, no chance they're going to increase official interest rates, but what they say around the decision is going to be what everyone is going to be focusing on. All right, let's a uh, couple of stocks still to go. Gary, um, uh, viewers want uh, an idea on Home Consortium, the uh, the big property uh, group, basically uh, real estate investment trusts, more in that that big brand, big box type uh, shopping centres, isn't it? Um, convenient shopping centres too. Home Consortium and Homeco Daily Needs, uh, the two listed company. The, uh, viewer wants a view on Home Consortium, but um, they've recently uh, made an agreement to acquire the Aventus Group. 
Yeah, so the Homeco is the main brand name now. I think there's what 35 centres um, throughout Australia. I think I think look most of them. I think 10 in Queensland, 12 in New South Wales, and 10 in Victoria. So mainly sort of the east coast there. But um, but yeah, look, the business has been going pretty well. It's sort of more in that sort of regional area. So like Wagga, Coffs, sort of Penrith, sort of um, sort of style. So not in the city, which is probably quite at this stage, you know, because what's sort of happened with COVID and stuff. There's probably been quite um, quite positive for them. Um, more of us sort of staying home, more of us in regional as well. Um, so look, pretty positive there. Just the, the big thing here is the, um, it's a multiple, like we're on about 40 times. And even looking at, um, you know, if you allow for, I think most guys are, fo are forecasting like 40% growth here for 23, that still puts on about 30 times here. So um, you're pricing in growth here. So, you, you know, uh, you know, I think home consortium is going to keep growing. Obviously, you're making acquisitions, so you got that bolt-on there. So oftentimes, you can, you know, buy your sort of growth. Um, so don't mind the model there. Just multiples, just very high here. But I, I, I look at the technical picture of the chart there. The chart still looks pretty strong here, yeah. pretty strong momentum. So um, in the short term, there, momentum still looks pretty bullish. So just evaluation, I don't like here. Looks looks pretty high. Okay. Uh, if you had it though, you'd keep holding it. Uh, yes. Yep. Um, Howard, uh, hasn't been listed long under the, the team invest uh, filters, has it? No, it wouldn't. Uh, it's, firstly, it hasn't been listed long. And secondly, the way we count profits, it's been making a loss. And in fact, uh, according to the way our figures work, um, it, it had revenue or sales, as we call it, of about 70 million last year and a loss of 60 million. So, um, you know, it would have to more than double its revenue with no extra expenses just to cover its costs. So doesn't look good to us. Now, the principle sounds great, and I agree with Gary being in the regional areas where it's probably got more pricing power than it's got in the big cities, um, can be more of a price maker than a price taker. It may well in the long term do well, but far too early for us, and none of the metrics would excite team invest members at this stage. Okay. And our final stock, uh, HowardCarsales.com, the big uh, automo online automotive, motorcycle and marine classifieds business in Australia, but also has expanded to Brazil, South Korea, Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand and Mexico. Yeah, I, I've owned it for many, many, many years, still own it today. I've done very well out of it. So it's been a genuine wealth winner for me. Um, uh, I can't remember what I paid for it, but probably somewhere around about $2, I think. So I've done extraordinarily well out of it, um, had a lot of dividends along the way. It's got a high return on equity and has had all through its life because it doesn't need a lot of equity for the kind of business that it is. Uh, it's got a pretty acceptable debt levels since it did a capital raising um, to make that acquisition in North America. And its earnings have been growing, but the earnings per share haven't been growing all that fast mainly because most of the new countries they've gone into, uh, Brazil, Mexico, uh, Argentina, etc., um, haven't yet got to the point that they are um, properly profitable in those countries. But they're all getting there. And um, once, uh, you know, Korea, when they first bought it, was the same thing. But Korea is now really profitable and Brazil is heading in the same direction. So, um, you know, very well-run business. They seem to integrate these acquisitions really well, put their own software in and grow well in those markets. So I'm a very happy shareholder, but it, it is at the moment at a pretty high PE. You know, you could have bought it 
uh, I'm just looking back here, you could have bought it at a, a PE of about half what it is now, right. just over a year ago. It, it got down to uh, uh, $16 odd uh, in share price, or 16.72, I think it was, at, at, uh, in March, April last year. It's now $25. So um, I, I'm certainly not considering adding any further to it at this price, but it's a great business that I'm very happy to have in my portfolio. A lot of Team Invest members hold it. A lot of us bought some more of it uh, 18 months ago or so when the share price collapsed. Um, but we wouldn't necessarily be buying it okay. at these prices. We'd wait for some bad news first. Sure. Okay. But if you've got it, hold it. Uh, Gary? Yeah, look, it's a great business. I think Howard's covered pretty well there. I think uh, if you look at the 10-year average, I think it spent 80% of the time trading between roughly 23 and 26 times earnings. So that's sort of where it spent most of the time. Um, at the moment, we're on about 37, 38 times. Wow. Wow. Um, okay. Even looking at... Uh, you know, like another 35% growth this year and another 30% growth the following year. That's still in about 32 times. So still, still pretty highly priced here. So they've um, they have acquired this US um, Trader Interactive, so they got a, like a 49% um, stake in that. So they're expecting reasonable growth there. I did see they they did mention that the increase in costs um, are starting to sort of come through the business as well. Um, but for me, great business, just very expensive here at the moment mm. um, on that multiple, considering the history of the stock. Um, you'd be able to buy this a lot cheaper in the past here. So I think if you saw, saw it come back to around 25 times, that's probably the, buy, the price okay. to be sort of buying this business at. All right. Gents, uh, that's all we have time for. Ruddy out of time. Gary Glover from Novus Capital. Always great to have you on board. Likewise, Howard Coleman from Team Invest. Thank you, gents. Thanks, guys. Pleasure. Have a good rest of the week. All right, just to recap our final five stocks, uh, Helios, a no from both Gary and Howard. Howard saying, look, Son Sonic, Integral, Ramsey, all better options for those different sectors. Uh, Select Harvest, a no from Howard. Gary would start to look at it around $6.40. Uh, EQT, no from both. Home Consortium, a no. And uh, Car Sales, a hold from Gary and, uh, and Howard. Uh, that's it for our show for today. If you'd like any stocks looked at here on the call, just put them in an email, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at osbiztv hashtag. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.